That's right, so names mean something. Sometimes names accidentally mean something. I saw in the paper uh, two names next to each other. You know how they do uh, when you're getting married. You have the la- both the last names. It was the Hardy Har wedding, accidentally, <laughs> next to each other. Uh, there's actually a woman who is an attorney named Sue Yu. I'm not making this up. Sue Yu. And, uh, and uh, a doctor named Dr. Ken Hurt. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go to him. Uh, but I also saw a mugshot of Robin Banks, if you can believe that. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> I knew I'd be pushing it with that one, but it's true. Names are meaningful, and sometimes uh, accidentally so. Names are important to us. Your name means a lot to you. You know that. You love it when people use your name, don't you? Carnegie said that people, to people that their name is the sweetest sound, right? Uh, you know, don't, don't push that too far. Don't use the name too much. You might sound like you're selling something, which is what Carnegie was trying to help people learn how to do. But, but using people's names is really important. And uh, sometimes in the South, we can get away with not knowing someone's name. You know, it's kind of, especially guys. You know, men can, uh, can greet each other, and they'll never be the wiser that, uh, that uh, neither one of them knew each other's name. Hey, Bubba, how are you? Good to see you. Hey, pal, how are you? Guy, yeah, all right. Bud, we have so many names to call each other um, in the South, get away with it, but, but our names are really important to us. The name that you were given represents you. And when someone gets it wrong, it's jarring, isn't it? You know, someone calls you by the wrong name, right? And sometimes, you know, sometimes if people use your full name, it means something too, right? <laughs> they use, use all three of your names, right? It means you may be in big trouble. But your name means something to you because it reveals something about you. It represents you. And so when God is naming himself in the Bible, when he names himself, we need to pay very close attention. What's he saying about himself? And so all throughout this month, we're going to be looking at the name Emmanuel. What does he mean by that? What does God mean that he is with us? What does it look like for God to be with us? This morning in particular, how is God with us as a wonderful counselor? As a wonderful counselor. From the Word of God, John chapter 14, starting with verse 15 through verse 26. Let's turn now to the Word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, 
and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, In my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you be present with us this morning? Would you remove from us all the distractions from the week behind, from the week ahead? And would you help us to be found? By you, in Jesus' name, amen. And so the question today is, how is God with us as a wonderful counselor? A counselor of wonders. I don't know if you saw that, uh, that movie, Prince of Egypt. Uh, about, it's an animated film about uh, Moses, the story of Moses. And, and one of the things that, that struck me about that movie that they did so well was to talk about the awesomeness of God, was to depict God as a God of wonders. How does God make himself, manifest himself as present in your life as a counselor of wonders, as a wonderful counselor? Well, there, let's just look at a couple of different ways. First of all, he comforts us. He comforts the afflicted. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that uh, people say this? People say, uh, you come to church, and, and the church is, is at its best when it's comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. <laughs> right? Well, those are the two ways that God is present with us. In community. He comforts the afflicted. And he afflicts the comfortable. The first, he, he comforts the afflicted. He comforts us in community. Now, you would think that'd be simple. That means just the people of God get together, right? And that's it. But the problem is that not every group is a community. Not every group is a community. Some groups are gangs, <laughs> Right? And, and sometimes gangs wear white pressed shirts and ties. And so we have to be careful that the way we're grouping up is not in a gang, but is in fellowship. If we're going to experience the presence of God, if he's going to be with us, we can't be part of a gang. We have to be part of a fellowship. And you see throughout this whole scripture, it's almost awkward in the way that Jesus is describing. He's turning 
the, the phrase, every which way, I will be in you, I'm in the Father, he is in me, I'm in you, you will be with him. Who's he talking about? It, it's sort of strange because we can't quite wrap our mind around this idea of the Trinity, that God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But see, if you don't understand and believe that God is the Trinity, even if you don't understand it fully, then you're not understanding or appreciating that you're being invited into something. You're being invited into fellowship. You're being invited into the fellowship of God. God says in in Genesis, he says, let us, right? Before before the the creation of the world, before, before... He created human beings. He said, let us make man in our own image. What's he saying? He's saying that that God is a fellowship, that God is a community, that God God is relational. The heart of God is relationship, is personal, life on life on life. And you're being invited into that. Jesus, in anguish, cries out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in his eternal life, he was cut off from that fellowship. It was so painful. Fellowship, affiliation, being part of a group, belonging is one of the most powerful forces in all human life. And it's a force that that can be for good or it can be for evil. You see, we, we can be loyal to a group, which means we're loyal to a gang. If our loyalty doesn't transcend the group, if we're just loyal to the group, then really what we are part of is not a fellowship, but a gang. We're organizing around fear or We're organizing around some issue or cause, which usually means we're organizing around the least mature of us, the weakest of us. Rather than inviting people into a strength, we're organizing around an affliction. Uh, Mark Lilla writes for the New York Times every now and then. He's uh, He's a professor at Columbia. One of the Ivies, an Ivy League professor. He identifies himself as a liberal. I don't like throwing those terms around. You don't hear me use liberal and conservative very much. If I'm going to wear a term, I'm going to define it for you. I want to be careful because it it has all kinds of, these labels have all kinds of crazy attachments to, to it. But as, as, as a liberal, as an academic liberal, he, he self-identifies that way. And he has written a, a piece in the New York Times that I think everybody needs to read. In his, in his piece, he talks about the end of identity politics. Because essentially what he's saying is, identity politics, when you're just identifying with some subgroup in the United States, no matter what it is, race, gender, class, socioeconomics, when you are loyal to that group and there's nothing, there's no loyalty that transcends that group, then you're part of a gang. You're part of a gang. It doesn't matter whether you call it 
something that's recent in the news, a movement that is being pressed by the press, or whether it's something even as seemingly innocuous to us as evangelical, you must be careful that your loyalty is not simply to the group because then you're just organizing around human power. You're organizing around fear. See, what Mark Lilla saw, what he saw in this last uh, fall, in this last year of, of uh, such heated politics, what he saw was, even though he identifies as a, a liberal, he saw mirrored across the political aisle, he saw mirrored some behavior he didn't like to see, and he realized, that's me. <laughs> he saw mirrored in the fear-based gang warfare that was our last year's political cycle. He saw us grouping up in a way that wasn't inclusive the way he thought he was. He thought that, uh, that, that ringing that bell of diversity, that, that, uh, that, that he was including everybody, and this is what he says. He says, the fixation on diversity in our schools and in the press has produced a generation of liberals and progressives narcissistically unaware of the conditions outside of their self-defined group and indifferent to the task of reaching out to Americans in every walk of life. At a very young age, our children are being encouraged to talk about their individual identities even before they have them. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's pathetic. The way that we're grouping up. It's not helpful. And yet, we're doing that. We're becoming part of a gang. And we think that we're being all-inclusive, or we think that just because everybody we know thinks the way we do, that, that we're including everybody, and we think that we're being helpful. But what we're really doing is we're being loyal to something that's human-made, And if there's no loyalty that transcends your group, then you look like a junior high cafeteria everywhere you go. It doesn't matter how old you get. You're you're grouping up. You're, You're organizing around weakness or you're organizing around fear. But see, we're called to something different. If we're gonna wear the name evangelical, we're called the evangelical Presbyterian church, if we're going to wear that label, we better be defining it in terms of fellowship, koinonia. We better be people who understand that there's a certain order to things. Let me, uh, let me picture that for you. That we, in, instead of being invited into a gang, we're being invited into fellowship. What does that look like? How is God with us? Emmanuel, how is he with us as a wonderful counselor? He comforts us in our affliction by inviting us into fellowship. Invited into fellowship. Let me, let me picture that for you. A guy named John Croyle, many years ago in the 70s, he, he, uh, he was a, a football star and he, he had an offer to go play in the NFL, but he felt called to do something else. He created what's called Big Oak Ranch, and they've had almost 2,000 kids come through there. He and his wife and his family have created an extended family of children who have nowhere else to go. 
The passage says, I will not leave you as orphans. The passage says, I will be in you and you will be in with me. But it says at the very beginning, did you notice this? The very beginning of what it means to live in fellowship, to live in community. Look at it again, verse 15. John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, we get so caught up in not earning salvation that we forget that we are under the authority of God. (laughs) We forget that God has a a certain order to life that, that makes life good for us, that helps us love him back. And so John Croyle, one of the first things he says to a new kid who's just, you know, maybe his, his you know, second parent has been thrown into jail, has nowhere else to go. Where, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go to Big Oak Ranch? And John says, I will stick with you no matter what, unconditionally. He also says this, there's a line here, don't cross it. And maybe for the first time in kids' lives, there's some definition there are consequences. And there's a sense of security in an authority. That's not me. You see, when we organize around gangs, we're organizing around our fear. We're not trusting in faith that there is a God in heaven that is with us, is present with us in all circumstances and unconditionally accepting you but calling you to obedience. Why? So that we will demonstrate the kind of community that we're capable of. You say, Tim, you know, every once in a while I see a glimpse of what you're talking about. Maybe I went to camp once and, and we, really, we really shared life in a way that was, it was beautiful. It was, uh, it was short-lived, but it was beautiful. Or I went to a, a, a walk, a mass walk, or Trace Diaz, or I went on some retreat, and, and people were really honest, transparent. They were authentic. They were really sharing who they were. The masks came off. The barriers came down. We were no longer identifying with some group. There was some sense of community that transcended us. I know what you're talking about. How do we achieve that here on an ongoing way? How do we achieve that at First Presbyterian Church? Well, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question. That's a great question. Because that's the second half of the sermon. Because not only is God with us, he demonstrates that he's with us as a wonderful counselor by comforting the afflicted in community. He also afflicts the comfortable. And so if we're going to be the kind of community, the kind of fellowship we're capable of, the noble souls that he's called us to be, then we have to be willing to face some affliction. It's influential to have someone powerful as your friend, isn't it? When someone who you know is stronger than you befriends you, don't they influence you? Of course they do. And sometimes you just feel exposed by someone who is, is just comfortable and confident in their own skin and you're around them and you realize that they're not doing anything, they're not saying anything to you, but you feel uncomfortable, you feel a little ill at ease, the way Isaiah did when he faced the presence of God. He said, behold, I am a man of unclean lips. Peter, when he realized who Jesus was, he says, get away from me, Lord. 
When anyone sees an angel in, 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 in throughout all of Scripture, they, they feel, they fall down in fear, they fall down on their face because they're, they're, they become very self-aware. They're suddenly very aware of their brokenness and their disorder. If we're going to experience the presence of God in community, we have to be willing to have him reveal us to us. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? My favorite old westerns, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. We have to be willing to be afflicted by our wonderful counselor. You know, some people avoid the doctor. Have you noticed that? <laughs> some people avoid the doctor. I feel, sometimes I feel sorry for the, the, the doctors in our midst. You know, it's like, you know, it's, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, they're, they're glad to see them out in public and suddenly they're ready to ask them and show them their moles, right? But they don't really want to go to the doctor and, and get a full checkup because why? Because they're afraid of what might be there. And so it's easier just to kind of not deal with it, right? Or emotionally, it's easier not to deal with it. But is it better? Of course not. Emotionally, you feel better not dealing with something. But quietly, secretly, it's having its way in your life until it's dealt with. People avoid. It says in verse 16 and verse 26 that Jesus is going away. He's trying to bring comfort to them, but he's... He's telling them, warning, this is going to be a helper, an advocate, somebody who's a counselor to you, somebody who's going to speak truth into you. Not just grace, but truth into your life. It's very much like what happened to Eustace in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of the Narnia books. That is, drawing near to Aslan, the lion, the 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 picture of Christ incarnate in those books. Aslan, the lion. Eustace, out of his greed and self-centeredness, his selfishness, he, he became a dragon, a gilded dragon. He, he was so hungry for power, hungry to be on his own, hungry to be better than everybody else, and he fixated on this treasure, and he became the treasure. It, it coated him. And he was scaly and he was alienated from everyone, alienated from his friends, alienated from community. He was strong in a very twisted, powerful, but weak way. And he needed to have that removed. And the picture of it is one of the most uh, gruesome, but compelling images in the whole Narnia series, and I'm going to read it to you. He needed to have this, this exoskeleton, this, this, this thorny, knobbly stuff that was protecting him from intimacy with God, intimacy with other people, protecting him from fellowship, protecting him from hurt, but it was also protecting him and keeping him from joy and from friendship, and from connection, from being known. And he needed to have it removed. And this is the scene. It says, he, he, Aslan is actually peeling this off of him. He says, well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And there, there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, like a stick. You see that? Like a fresh stick. You peel the, the outer peeling off of it. 
You see that image of that, that tender image? Vulnerable. And smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much. For I was very tender underneath now and that I had no skin on. And he threw me in the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. I think we say we want to be close to God. We want him to be near us. We want our prayers to mean something. We want to know him. We say we do. We say we want fellowship. We say we want friendship. And then when people draw near in ways that exposes us, we quickly push away, don't we? But what's happening in those moments when you're being exposed? There's potential there for you to grow. There's potential there for you to connect under what I call the under the news, the sports, and the weather, right? There's potential for real koinonia, real fellowship, and for you to experience the presence of God. Life on life, you have to get over yourself, literally. That there are certain parts that you have used, whether it's grouping up with a gang or whether it's just on your own, you've become an island. There are certain things that you have created around you to protect you because the world hurts sometimes, doesn't it? And you think you're the only one. (laughs) Everyone feels this way. Everyone. Doesn't matter whether you've got, you feel like you have all the talent or none of the talent. Doesn't matter whether you're you're, you're the early uh, achiever or the late bloomer. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you look like you've got it all together or you look at those people and you think they've got it all together. Everyone feels this way. Every one of us. And what God is calling us to do and to be is to be a koinonia, a fellowship, that we may experience his presence in this place. But if we're walking around with scales on, we cannot experience it ourselves and we cannot extend it to other people. We say we want intimacy with God, but so often we push back whenever the comfortable are being afflicted. They push back. And so we never push beyond those barriers. We never push past it. I wrote a little dialogue that I think represents how most of us respond to God when he's calling us to get closer to him, become more like him, and to be capable of a greater relational quality life on life with other people around you. This is what I think it sounds like. We say, Jesus, love me anyway, right? <laughs> love me just as I am. Let me come as I am, and, and you love me anyway. And he says, okay. And we think, oh, that's good. But then we say, no, 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 really. I'm, I'm an angry person. I'm a yeller, all right? I'm just, I'm just an angry person. Love me anyway. Love me just like this. He says, okay. And you think, well, what's the catch here? What's the catch? We say, well, it, really, really, this is part of who I am. This is the real me. And Jesus says, I believe you. I'm okay with that. And we say to ourselves, we say, this isn't working. 
And he says, working to do what? And we say, oh, oh, you heard that? (laughs) Well, it's not working to keep you at a distance and keep me where I am. And Jesus says, I thought you wanted to be accepted just as you are. And we say, I do. But now that it comes to us, comes to it, I guess I wanted something else. What do you suppose that something else Jesus says to us? And we say, I I guess I wanted you to meet my conditions. (laughs) I wanted control. And Jesus says, sorry, my love for you is unconditional. Unconditional. You see, if you're experiencing conditional love of God, it's you who've set the conditions. If you think that God isn't reaching you, if he's not drawing near to you, if you don't know him and his presence in you, in fellowship with you, it's probably because you're not letting him get near you because you've set some conditions of being known. It doesn't matter whether it has to do with your sexuality, your gender, your party, your political affiliation, your hurt, your background, your abuse, whatever you can use to be a victim. Everyone feels that way. And Jesus is saying, you let me get close to you and we can work with that. But it's going to feel like the comfortable of being afflicted. How is God with us? As a wonderful counselor. He comforts the afflicted. But be advised. He also afflicts the comfortable.